case you don't know Richard, that joke meant that he was supposed to be the best looking man, which of course is extremely funny. Thank you for getting off to that great start. Uh, why don't we take a moment and turn to page 1,111, all the ones this morning, 1111 in Acts chapter 16. Take a moment and turn there, if you will. We are in part 17 of our Acts series at the moment. Um, the Acts is the book, the Acts of the Apostles, if you will. It's about the church spreading to the ends of the earth, and we're in Acts, in Acts chapter 16 this morning. Before I get stuck into the text, why don't we read it together? It's uh, quite a, a lot, but we'll go through it together, and I'll be referring to it um, as I unpack it for us this morning. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 on page 1111. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do so. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Summerthrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gates to the river where we expected, note that word, say expected, expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once we were going to the place of prayer, we, met, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar. How dare they, by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice? The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered that them be stripped and beaten with rods. 
Not a good day at the office, is it? After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were moaning, no, crying, no, asking where mummy is, no. What were they doing? Praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaking. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. Pal, we're all here. The jailer called for lights. Lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he, and he then brought them out and asked. And wow, what a lovely question this is. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, Mr. Jailer man, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds. Remember, they were beaten. Then immediately he and all, all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy. Yes, Christian, it does say it. The Christian was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his entire household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officials to the jailer with the orders, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can go, or now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without trial, even though we're Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison, and now they want to get rid of us quietly. No chance. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, the title of our text this morning is The Spirit-Empowered Road Trip. Have you ever been on a road trip? Can you remember it? Where did you go? What did you do? Who did you meet? Was it fun? Did you have moments of being extremely tired along the way? Uh, when I was 14 years old, I had the privilege of going on a road trip from Johannesburg to Cape Town, a three-day car journey with a never-ending repeat of the best of Toto, Queen, and Elvis played by my highly cultural parents. The only thing suspicious about that journey was their musical choice. But it was a fantastic road trip, and no doubt I would have been a grumbling teenager during the time. Are we there yet? This is boring. It's taking ages. But in fact, when I look back on the road trip, I do so with fond memories. I remember the views. I remember the smells. Every time 
uh, Africa is played or a Toto Best of album is on, it takes me back to that moment of that particular road trip. Can you remember a road trip that you've been on? Was it fun? Did you have a good time? Did you get photos? The thing is about road trips is they are there to live long in the memory. And what we're looking at this morning is something that is no different, which is why I've entitled it The Spirit-Empowered Road Trip. And I'm going to unpack four very basic things that I think we all need um, to have, or we all need to have sorted in order to have a road trip. First of all, we've got to have a crew. We've got to have an aim, secondly. Thirdly, we've got to have a destination in mind. And fourthly, a willingness to meet all sorts of people along the way. A crew, an A-team, sorry, an aim, a destination in mind, and a willingness to meet all sorts of people along the way. So the spirit-empowered road trip. Why don't we put ourselves in our imaginary, super trendy, blacked-out VW transporter. We've got the surfboard on top. We have got the best speakers in town, and we are heading on this journey together. Are you up for it? Yeah. Um, just for the trendy people here this morning, there's a hashtag on there called SERT, Spirit Empowered Road Trip. You can use that hashtag after the sermon. It's free of charge. <laughs> so first of all, let's go for it. Who are the crew? Well, you've got to have a tight crew for an excellent road trip, haven't you? And in here we see the crew of people in Acts chapter 16, verse 6 onwards. Luke uses the word we. Well, who are the we? Well, we have, first of all, Paul, the artist formerly known as Saul. Here we have in Acts 16, Paul is on his second missionary journey. We're in the belly of Paul's story, if you will, learning about how he's spreading the gospel to the nations. You see, Paul had an experience of who Jesus is, and he was so convicted by that experience, he decided his whole life was going to be about telling people about Jesus Paul the artist, formerly known as Saul. We also have Timothy as part of this crew. Timothy was a young, talented leader. And if you were here last week, you would probably remember that Timothy was also a man willing to do all sorts of things for the spreading of the gospel, even be circumcised. Thirdly, we have Luke, a doctor, a physician, a man who loves detail. And we read that in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts, which Luke wrote. And Luke is part of the crew. And then we have poor old Silas. And I say poor old Silas because it's probably not a name we are too familiar with. But uh, he is part of this crew too. And we see in Acts chapter 15, Silas is named as a man who'd risk his life for the name of, Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also learn that, um, well, Peter says in 1 Peter that Silas actually helped co-write the book of 1 Peter. So this is the Acts team, or if you will, for short, the A team. This is the crew. These are the four men who are absolutely in love with, believe in, Jesus Christ. Right, so we've got the crew sorted. <coughs> Secondly, then, the aim What's the aim of this spirit-empowered road trip, of this S-E-R-T? Well, all road trips have an aim. Even if the aim is to have no aim, it's still an aim. 
all road trips have a name. And this one was really simple. It was to preach the gospel in Macedonia. Well, why was it to preach the gospel in Macedonia? Well, we tell, we're told in verse 9 that Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Well, how do we know it was a Macedonian man? Probably by his accent. So that was their aim. Nothing more, nothing less. Extremely simple, nice and clear. This is the crew. That's why they are on the road trip. Thirdly, then, we have a destination. And let's pause on this bit for a moment because every road trip has to have a good destination in mind, doesn't it? I know someone last year, a friend of mine for his 50th, decided the destination was going to be Scotland and the aim was going to be sampling a lot of the major whiskey distilleries. What a road trip. (laughs) No? Fine, just a few of us. Every road trip has to have a good destination in mind. What's the point of leaving your departure? No one gets on a plane where it says the destination blank, do they? That is just crazy. There always has to be a destination in mind. So what is this one? Well, before I get to the exact pinpoint destination, let me just unpack a few things that I think it's important for us to do at this point. First of all, what we see here is an important relationship between the A-team, the crew, and the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit sent to help and to guide. And we see that in the book of Acts. Because it says in verse 6, read this, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the regions, but having been kept by the Holy Spirit. That's interesting. Then in verse 7, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do so. Through the book of Acts, we see this wonderful picture, this dance, if you will, of the divine and humans operating together to get guidance. And this is a question we ask ourselves all the time, don't we? How do I know what to do? How is God leading me? What should I do next? And often when we answer that question, we do so with a passive undertone. I'm just going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to let God do something. And actually, that's very opposite to what we see in the book of Acts. We see it's a very active thing. It's not passive at all. Sometimes in Acts, it's very clear. Like at Pentecost, God intervenes, and it's very clear what they need to do next. Sometimes it's the apostles pushing at doors, and and things happen. Sometimes, as we see here, it's a dream given. But what we can't do is alienate the two. F.F. Uh, uh, F. Bruce says this about Paul's missionary journey. He says, Paul's missionary journeys display an extraordinary combination of strategic planning and keen sensitiveness to the guidance of the Spirit of God. There's nothing passive about it at all. You would think a sailor would be absolutely crazy to go out to sea, to not set up his sails and say, I'm going to wait for the wind to take me to my destination. You would think that ludicrous, wouldn't you? So why any different for the Christian to sit back and say, I'm just going to wait on God to intervene in my life while passively doing absolutely nothing? Like a foolish sailor set out to sea, so is the foolish Christian passive in their pursuit of God's will. 
Instead, it is very active. One preacher actually said it this way, when someone came up to them with a problem and said, I don't know what to do next. I'm trying to discern God's will. What should I do? And the pastor said, just make a decision. He thought, what? Just make a decision. Whatever decision you make, just make a decision. And through that, let, the God, let God guide you. Let the Holy Spirit work by your active decision-making. Maybe that's you this morning very quickly. Maybe you've thrown all the responsibility over to God and you're sat back passively. Instead, you need to get up, pull up your socks, make some decisions, take responsibility, and like a keen and skilled sailor, see where God might lead you. But here we see Paul, we see this vision given to him. The door is opened. He sees a Macedonian man, not a Mancunian man, just to be clear by the accent. It was definitely a Macedonian man. And as a result of that, they get on a boat on the bottom of the Mamara Sea. They overnight stop on the island of Somothrace, and then they head straight to Macedonia. And they finish up in a place called Philippi. Philippi. Now, Philippi was an interesting destination. If you've driven uh, into Bournemouth on the A338, you'll see a wonderful blue sign that says what? Welcome to the promised land. And uh, Philippi was no different. Inscribed on the arches outside of Philippi, it said, welcome to Philippi with a slight footnote. We prohibit you bringing in any unrecognized religions into our city. The sign above the A38 would have probably cost a little bit more if there was that footnote underneath. But this is what it said above the arches on the entrance to Philippi. We prohibit you bringing in any unrecognized religions into our city. And the A-team would have known this. They would have been smart chaps. They would have seen that. They would also known that Philippi was named after Philip II, father of Alexander the Great, that this city was located on a major Roman road. It was Rome's primary artery to the east. It was an important outpost along the road. It was a strategic east-west location. It was a Roman colony, pretty much made up of Romans and Greeks, and probably around about 15,000 people in the town. Mostly poor, very few Jews. In other words, very difficult ground if you want to go and preach the gospel too. Probably no different to Bournemouth and Paul, right? If you are a visitor with us this morning, you're extremely welcome to be here. But I wonder what you were thinking before you came in. I'm just going to support my family members. I'm here for them. I'm really not going to buy into this today. You know, folks, we live in a very similar society where we often have faith in our own ideas for life in the afterlife without, if we're honest with ourselves, doing very little reading about it. We've just assumed it from other people. We've collated it from uh, online media and perhaps not done as much digging ourselves as we could do. And one of the things that we run at our church is something called a belief course, which is discovering what you're living for. And what I find remarkable about such courses is that people are often willing to put their whole life on black without any assurance that black will come out in the end. 
And so I would encourage you, if you're here this morning, you're welcome. And I would invite you to think about this text. Think about the name of Jesus. But if that's even a stretch too far, just think about your own worldview for a moment. Think about why you do what you do and uh, what that's built upon, why you've come to that conclusion. And my hope for you is that as you come here in support of family, you might actually leave change because Jesus Christ, who I believe is alive today, you have an encounter with him. So there we have the city of Philippi, very not different from Bournemouth and Paul in terms of it being a difficult ground. But what we find in Philippi is a great church starts there because about 10 years after this event in AD 60, Paul writes to the church in Philippi. So that's the destination. That's the crew and that's the aim. Well, why don't we go through very quickly then the people that they met on this journey? Because on a good road trip... You've got to be willing to meet all sorts, right? All sorts. And that is no different on this particular road trip. And I want to introduce you to three characters, a businesswoman, a slave girl, and a jailer. A businesswoman, a slave girl, and a jailer. You know, road trips are very good at dispelling cultural barriers because you will meet wealthy, you will meet poor, you will work with different people from different backgrounds. And often that's because you have the time and the freedom to do so. And what Luke tells us, because Luke wrote the book of Acts here, is that there are three lives that come into contact with the A-team, and they are changed forever as a result. And I love this about Paul, and I hope you love this too about Paul, because this is great, that Paul never allowed gender or cultural barriers to keep him from preaching the gospel. Hey, guys, the gospel is open to all people everywhere. There is nothing, there is no barrier between anyone receiving the good news of Christ. And so the first person we come to meet with very quickly is Lydia, the businesswoman. And what's interesting about Lydia's story in verse 13 onwards, it says, On the Sabbath we went outside to the city gate to the river. Now, Lydia wasn't actually from Philippi. She was from a town called Thyatira, which was not too far away. And uh, Lydia was in town because she was a business lady. She was shrewd. She was uh, famed for the production of purple dye, used uh, up to the 19th century for dyeing carpets. And the color purple was often associated with nobility or royalty. It was very expensive, and she came to Philippi as a business lady. And isn't this amazing? Have you ever had this before? Where you meet, you're in a particular location that you've traveled to, and you meet someone else who's traveled out of town to your location, and something special happens in that moment. I work at a local company, and there was a, there's a lady who started working there about two and a half years ago from Peterborough, which I regard as north because it's above Salisbury. So she came from north down to the south. And for whatever reason, she just decided she had enough of Peterborough. She was going to come down to the south. Lots of things happened. And there she was sat next to me on one morning at work. And that was it. She came out of nowhere. She's from out of town. I'm from out of town. Here we are sat together. And it was no different for the A team as it was for Lydia. And so what happens here, these guys go outside the city to pray because, of course, they're aware of the sign on the arches they don't want to cause any unnecessary commotion. And they meet Lydia. And it says here, 
as Paul tells Lydia, or the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, it says. And this wonderful story, this businesswoman, a woman who seemingly had everything in terms of trying to make it as a woman in a man's world back in AD 50, she realizes there's still something missing. And although she may have been a God-fearer, she hears the message of Jesus Christ and decides that, yes, this is for her. And as far as we know, she becomes the first convert to Christianity in Europe. And not just her, but we read here too, she's changed and so is her entire household, family members, servants. You see, it's not just a personal response for Lydia, it's a whole community response. There's a guy I met at a church planting course last year. He had planted a church in Turkey and they do a very similar thing. If someone hears the message of Christ and decides, yes, I want to follow Jesus, they say, don't do it just yet. Go back and go get your friends and your family and come back later and bring them all so you can do it in front of them so that perhaps they can do it all together and also to stop divisions within the family. And what a lovely picture of a response to the gospel. And that's what we're looking for here in Bournemouth and Paul. Not just the individuals will be added to the church, but whole communities, whole families. That's why we're here. And so we see God's grace over Lydia, this Gentile woman, perhaps a widow. She's a great example of a woman. But she still knew that there was something more she needed in life. And perhaps there are some Lydias with us this morning. Perhaps literally, your name is Lydia. But also, illustratively, there might be some Lydias here this morning. You're without want. You have all that you need. You're okay, you're sorted. Your online profiles are tidy, LinkedIn is put together, and you're all okay. But you do know deep down inside there is just something missing. Well, like Lydia responded to Paul's message all these years ago, I hope you would respond this morning to this message as Jesus extends an offer to you. So that's the first person. The second person we meet is a demon-possessed slave girl slightly outside our framework of thinking, a demon-possessed slave girl in verses 16. Now, this is really interesting. Check this out. In verse 16, it says, Luke writes, once again, or once when we were going to the place of prayer. Isn't that really interesting? One day they wake up, they go to the place of prayer. Who do they meet? Lydia. Now, I don't know whether this was the next day or months afterwards, but what? They go into the place of prayer, and who do they meet? A demon-possessed slave girl. Well, why is that? Because, folks, the A-team on this spiritually empowered road trip were expecting that things were going to happen. And church, we need to be expectant in the mundane of life. How many church services have you been to? How prepared were you this morning? Did you actually utter these words to yourself? I'm expectant today I'm going to meet with the living God. Did you say that? Probably not. I'm expecting today that things are going to change. I'm expecting today full of hope for this or for that. Or did we just put on our clothes, have a shower, brush our teeth, and just attend just in time for the first song? Or actually, you probably skipped the first two songs because you're not a worshiper. So you came after the songs for the notices. How expectant, or how expectant are you on your commute to work? How expectant are you in your relationships with people at work that God might break through and use you in the mundane of life? 
On this spirit-empowered road trip, the A-team were expectant. And this particular meeting with a demon-possessed slave girl does jangle a lot of our cultural bells because she's a slave and it's something we automatically kick again. She had a spirit within her, and that's outside of often our, our thinking or frameworks for thinking. But also, this poor young lady was exploited by her owners and for, because she had a spirit that could tell fortunes or predict the future, and they were making money from her. For its exploitation has been going on for many, many years, and it never gets any better. It is a horrible and horrendous thing. And this spirit within this young girl recognizes the message that Paul and the team are preaching. She follows them around the city, shouting at them, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And at first glance, you think, that probably might be a welcome thing for Paul and his gang. Maybe a bit of advertising, maybe perhaps to help enhance the message. But actually, it's very different because it's not welcome advertising. Paul and his companions don't like the distraction because remember the city. And you can imagine the team discussions. Is this getting a bit much? What should we do? And it takes a long time to do anything before Paul hits a tipping point. And in a sudden moment of spiritual authority, he casts out this demon from this young lady who's enslaved. In James 2, it says, You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. In Mark chapter 1, it says that Jesus drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Folks, if Paul accepted the demons' words, it would appear he would appear to be linking the gospel with demon-related activities, and this would damage the message about Christ. And so Paul had to do something. And in the name of Jesus Christ, he casts out the demon. Now, you may, have, you may have many questions about the story. Goodness, I have many questions about the story. But here's the point. And I will say this very slowly and very carefully. The point is this. There is power in the name of Jesus. This is the point. There is power, just reflect on that, in the name of Jesus. And this is good news for the girl. Because she meets Jesus and is freed from what must have been horrendous torment. It's bad news for her exploiters because their revenue stream is dried up. Maybe some of you are like this here this morning on our road trip, if you will. You're enslaved to something, a situation and it's just so weighty. And I'm very sensitive at this point. I'm not to, to offer any, you know, pat answers for often very difficult scenarios. But one thing I would say is this, is that there is power in the name of Jesus. Thirdly, we meet a jailer. Verses 25 to 40. But before I go on to the jailer, let me just do a quick recap of this spirit-empowered road trip. 
has taken the A-team to Philippi because of a dream given to Paul. Expectant, the A-team head out to a place of prayer one day, preach the gospel, Lydia is saved. They head out to the place of prayer again on a seemingly mundane day, preach the gospel, and they cast out the demon of this girl in the name of Jesus. And this road trip just keeps sending them onto different places, to different people. And here, like most road trips when you're young, they end up in prison. <laughs> Enter the jailer. Now, what do we know about the jailer in verses 25 to 40? Probably a former soldier, and this job was given as a retirement package. Not a hard job, but a tough one, because um, the ultimate sanction, should anyone escape, would fall upon the jailer. So his life was literally on the line if someone was to escape. He's probably a tough man, as blue-collar as they come, and he did things by the book. He's a servant of Rome. Not the kind of guy who's easily impressed or intimidated. In fact, as we read in a moment, it takes an earthquake to get this guy's attention. How many wives would like an earthquake in your husband's life just to get their attention? But what we do hear about this man is he is, he is a decisive man. And let's follow the story here. Because it's midnight. Paul and Silas have been beaten on this road trip just for doing the aim very simply preaching the gospel. They've kept the main thing, the main thing, the whole time. And here they are in prison. But like I said when I read it, instead of crying, sulking, reflecting on whether they're really within the will of God or what actually has happened, what are they doing at midnight? Singing, sim singing hymns and psalms. Just think about that. That's crazy. Goodness gracious, I miss lunchtime when I don't feel like singing. You know, my kids won't go to bed on time. I certainly don't feel like singing. When I have to ask my daughter to put on her jacket to leave for Moore's Valley for the eighth time because I want to be there by 10 a.m., I certainly don't feel like singing. When I'm flogged and whipped and beaten and in stocks, that's the last thing I'm going to feel like. But these guys felt like singing. Wow. And then a violent earthquake happens. Doors fly open. Jailer wakes up. He sees the open doors. He thinks the prisoners have escaped. This is bad news for the jailer because he is going to die if the prisoners are not around. He takes out his sword. I don't know what he was thinking in his last moments. And he's about to take his own life. Paul shouts, no, 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 no. Don't do it. We're here. Jailer. Woohoo. We're here in the corner. He calls for lights. He rushes in and he falls trembling and he asks that question. What a sweet question. This takes, this takes beautiful poetry to a new level. Sirs, Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? He sees the demonstration of the power of God in Paul and Silas's life, in the earthquake around him. And because he is a decisive man, he decides, that's it, that's enough. I'm ready to follow this Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus Jailer, and you will be saved, you and your household. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. A lot of people, and this might be you, decide not to follow Jesus 
because you think Christianity is all about rules and regulations. And if you jump over the fence from where you are now to the Christianity, which is all rules and regulations, that it's going to do exactly the opposite. It's going to steal your joy. Oh, Jesus, I just, you know, I can't, you know... You're, 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 you're too legalistic about sexuality and sex. I just, that will take away my joy. Not for me. I am not jumping over that fence. Oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. Forgiveness. Oh, that's too airy fairy. Forgiveness isn't for me. I would rather have bitterness, thank you very much. I'm not going to jump over that fence because. And what we do is we, 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 are, we, we allow ourselves to stay here. Because we believe that somewhere along the line we've been lied to, that if we decide to follow Jesus, it's going to steal our joy. And folks, I think you will be surprised by joy if you decide to follow Jesus. And what I would encourage you to do is not put the cart before the horse. You know, Christianity is all about relationship pretty much. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Don't worry about joy. Don't worry about all these other things. Just do the first things first. Who do you say Jesus is today, right now, in this moment? Who do you say Jesus is? Now, the jailer's life couldn't be any more different from Lydia's, but like hers... His whole household comes to know and love Jesus, and this community is baptized. So there you have it, three characters on the journey. Let's bring this road trip to an end this morning by way of some final thoughts. You know, looking at the story of the A-team on their adventurous trip to Macedonia, I don't know about you, but it does certainly, for me, stimulate a sense of adventure or an excitement, perhaps an expectation, particularly for those this morning who love Jesus and who are extremely passionate about his church. And you want this church, particularly Gateway Church, to grow and to flourish and to do great things. And perhaps this should do, or it does already, stimulate a new sense of excitement. Well... Have you ever seen the story or the movie Up? Um, it's a wonderful story. It's a, a story. It's a, it's a Pixar film, and in this story, there are two. There's a couple, and uh, at the beginning of the film, there's a short clip just showing their life. And as the story goes, they're a young couple. They want to start their adventure of life together, and they can't conceive or have children. And so they decide they're going to put money away because as part of their adventure, they're going to go to Paradise Falls. And that's going to be their adventure. And throughout the uh, start of the film, it shows them putting money in the money box so they can go on the adventure to Paradise Falls. But the, through this, the, the usualness of life, instead of the money box going up, it goes down. And so they never get to Paradise Falls. And eventually the wife dies. And uh, when she dies, the husband says, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go on that adventure. And so he decides to go and do it. And he takes with him an adventure book that the wife had put together. And so when he gets to Paradise Falls, he can take photos, fill up the adventure book, and his road trip will be filled with all the memories he wished that he had did with his wife. 
And in a beautiful moment at the end of the movie, he opens the adventure book to put in the photo, and he sees something amazing. That the adventure for the wife wasn't about Paradise Falls. The adventure was in the mundane of life. And she had been storing up and collating memories and photos and putting them in this adventure book. Because for her, that was the adventure, being with her husband. And that suddenly fell upon him, that truth. You know, when we can read this story and we can think of this spirit-empowered missionary journey as something out there, something that other people do, something that's exciting and adventurous for others, and we can miss that sense of adventure and purpose for ourselves. We are all on a spirit-empowered road trip, Gateway Church. Who's the crew? You are. You're the A-team. Look around. Go on. You can look around. You're not that ugly. I promise you. I can see you all. Look around. You are the A-team. What is our aim, Gateway Church? To go, it's a simple aim. To go and preach the gospel. That's you. What's our destination? We want to take people to the kingdom of heaven, don't we? Because there is power in whose name? There is power in the name of Jesus. That's our adventure. This is our bus. You're all welcome to join and be part of our crew. And let me say this by way of conclusion. Some of us here this morning can relate to Lydia. Some can relate to being enslaved. Some of us can relate to being the jailer. And I would encourage if that's one of you, then you would respond this morning to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sirs, Matthew, Gateway Church, what must I do this morning to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And guess what? You will have joy like you have never known before. Do you want that joy this morning, church? Do we want that joy this morning? Yes, because this is not another mundane Sunday. This is a day where Jesus Christ is alive. Amen? Amen? So let's invite the band up. Why don't we stand and respond to this, and I'll pray us out and hand over to Dan. Why don't we stand with expectant arms? Let's have our arms open wide. Let's have our hearts open. Have our eyes open or eyes closed. Whatever you feel is most comfortable or appropriate for you. But we're going to turn this, what is a mundane Sunday, into an expectant Sunday church. A church where Jesus Christ, whose name there is extremely amazing power, we're going to ask him and invite him to be with us and to change our situations and to intervene. So Lord, we come with expectant hearts and expectant minds, with expectation that, Lord, there is power in your name. There is power in the name of the Lord Jesus this morning. There is power in your name, Lord Jesus. And we ask your Holy Spirit to come and fall upon us as we are on our spirit-empowered road trip, that we are your crew. Lord, we are your A-team. You are so delighted in us. We have done things this week and we feel shame, but you don't speak that over us. We are your sons and daughters. We are your A-team. You love us. You are crazy in love with us. We are your A-team. Oh, Lord, we come expectant this morning. Would you move? Would you come and move? Bring a sense of joy and freedom. Oh, Lord God, we ask that you would come. Come, Lord.